Welcome to episode number 89 of the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty. Today we have our third guest joining us for our new mini-series entitled The Balancing Acts That Leaders Play. Roger Lee is the Chief Sales and Marketing Officer at Tech Education Leader General Assembly. As a reminder, in this series, we'll have conversations with leaders like Roger from varying backgrounds and talk candidly about the balancing acts they've encountered during their careers and how they've navigated them. Welcome to the show, Roger. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes. Uh, in the spirit of full disclosure, uh, what is now many years ago, Roger and I worked uh, together at, uh, at Kaplan. Uh, Roger on the, more on the higher ed side, Andy on the professional ed side, but our paths crossed and I really loved working with you back then. Well, I always found um, you to be a pretty visionary leader yourself, Andy. And so um, I was so happy when you did reach out. It's a pleasure to talk to you again. Well, speaking of visionary leaders, you're one of them. Please, before we get started, I ask this question of all my guests. Please tell our listeners your story. Absolutely. So um, my name is Roger Lee. I am the Chief Sales and Marketing Officer at General Assembly, um, where most of my career has been on the marketing side over the last couple roles. Um, sales has entered the picture, and I think that that is because... Um, Ed tech is starting to recognize that there's an intersection between B2B, which is business to business, and B2C, which is business to consumer, as we sort of realize that the purpose for so many individuals to get education is to get closer to the career and the job. Uh, we realize that there's clearly an intersection that starts with the job the person's trying to get to, what the employer is looking for. Uh, and that there's a marriage between that and what an individual student or, you know, consumer is looking for. Um, unlike many people on the marketing side, I actually started, uh, in creative. Um, so I started my life as a copywriter coming out with an MFA, which is a master of fine arts rather than an MBA. Um, and I was a young copywriter on the agency and found out I was angry all the time. And, and why was I angry all the time? <laughs> because people kept doing things that I considered stupid to my copy. I would write a beautiful track of copy and they would go and make changes and they made no sense whatsoever. And the wanting to get closer to the why of people doing things that I thought were stupid, um, was probably my journey, you know, the impetus of the journey to where I am today, because I've always wanted to get closer to the problem that is trying to be solved. And even as a copywriter, when rational people made changes that seemed non-rational, I needed to know why. Why would anyone do that? And so I think that more than anything had started the journey uh, from copywriter to creative director. Why? Because it was closer to the client. Uh, from creative director to client side. Why? Because then I was the client. And then on the client side, um, from sort of, you know, executive director of creative solutions and those sorts of things up into progressive roles, always to the point of better understanding what is the problem the business is trying to solve and how do I get closer to it? Because that's what excited me. And finding that solution is what excited me. And so um, when I get asked this question of, you know, what's your story? It's been finding better and more interesting problems to solve. 
Oh, that is, thank, thank you for that. And at, I'm sure at General Assembly and uh, in the education field uh, generally, uh, finding those problems uh, to be solved uh, is uh, it's, it's it's fairly easy to identify them. Solving them is uh, much more difficult, and that's uh, that certainly provided me joy. Uh, if you had to pick one event in your life that just put rocket boosters behind your career, what would that be? Not to sound a little bit like the broken record, but the reason to get closer to the problem being solved is that there's a game of telephone that happens between a senior executive and whoever it is that's actually going to do the work. And so one of the things that I like to tell people now in my current role is I do no actual work anymore. There was a point in time in my career where I sat down and I wrote something and I produced and I put it out there and I'm like, there, I made that thing. I don't make things anymore at all. What I do is sort of figure out what is it that we're sort of trying to achieve and um, then assign it. And then that person likely assigns it to someone else. And so there's just so much distance between the problem to solve and the people actually doing it that the game of telephone and communication really breaks down. And so uh, the thing that actually put um, Rocket Field behind my career was at Kaplan. And it was at this point in time where we needed to find savings, as every company does, because that game of telephone introduces inefficiencies between what it is you're trying to achieve. And so at that particular point in time, I was um, still on the creative side and I was responsible, you know, and this dates me a little bit because there still were such a thing as a brochure. Nobody uses brochures anymore. Uh but we needed to find a million dollars and we didn't know where we were going to find it. And I went and I looked at the collateral that the sales team was using, all of which was meant to communicate the same thing. And I found that over time, literally there was just version control. The process wasn't paying attention to how many versions of things were. And there was one brochure that had 30 different active iterations of it and literally just taking those 30 active iterations and turning it into one and having the communication with all the different people who needed that because of course each individual who had their iteration had a reason for that iteration and doing the communication that solved the problem by discussing the problem which is we need to take a million dollars out of the cost of collateral uh and getting everyone on board and then having them understand the real problem I was trying to solve was not their customization. It was, it was costing too much. And this is how they could contribute. And this is what we were all going to do together. Being able to find and articulate that solution um, brought a lot of attention of me to people like you at Kaplan uh, with regard to giving me those new and more interesting problems to solve. And so I would say recognizing that distance, that game of telephone that happens between an executive and the people who are actually going to do the work um, was a big part of the problem solving and just logistics in a way. Yeah. Roger, I talk a lot about organizational flow and uh, thank you so much for really highlighting that uh, and, and simplifying it for our listeners, this game of telephone tag and the inefficiency that naturally uh, occurs with that. If our listeners get one thing out of this show, uh, you know, I think that's that's going to be uh, really impactful. 
let, let's uh, let's shift gears. Let's let's go to the balancing acts that leaders play, and uh, here let's focus on sales and marketing leaders. Uh, if you had to choose the most important balancing act that sales and marketing leaders play, what would that be? So in sales and marketing, um, everyone has something that they call uh, on the sales side, they tend to call it a pipeline and on the marketing side, they tend to call it a funnel. But in either instance, it is the journey that a quote lead takes from being, um, unqualified to qualified. Unqualified means someone has raised their hand. They've shown some interest. Qualified means they're now worthy of a salesperson's time and then they can have a sales interaction or that sort of thing. And, and this is much broader than sales and marketing. Um, and it is, there's a balancing act between upstream and downstream. And I don't care where you are, who you are, what company you work for. The people who are upstream will always say, please work my volume. The people who are downstream will always say, please give me better quality. And I have observed this across multiple companies and I have observed this within the same company. And so marketing provides leads. Sales invariably says, these are not high enough quality. I need better quality. Marketing invariably says, just work them. Um, the funny thing is sales is in the middle because you turn around and then sales will turn over their sales to the you know, client success group in any industry. And guess what happens in the client success group? Sales will say, please work my deals. And client success will say, please make them higher quality. And so the balancing act is always going to be between volume and quality in any sort of funnel or pipeline and figuring out what is sufficient and having understandings between the two groups of what's even possible. And so let's put sales in the middle. What sales wants is a client who is ready to take a meeting, has a need and has the funds and is willing to buy. What marketing will then look at is say, well, how do we define that client? Because I'm not talking to individuals. I'm going out with thought leadership. I'm going out where people are going to raise their hands. And so right client is some form of definition of number of employees, title, so on and so forth. The thing that marketing will never really be able to do with any real sort of quality is, are they ready to buy or not? Because what, how was marketing going to do? They're going to ask the question. So are you going to buy in the next six months, you know, 12 months, never. And, and look, I am a B2B target. Not a day goes by that I don't have 10 plus outreaches to me to sort of buy something. And right. the ones that include the field, you know, when will you buy, you know, zero to three, six to nine, whatever. I invariably check never. And it has nothing to do with when I'm actually ready to buy is I don't want to talk to a salesperson. Right. And so the whole front end of that is this, again, communication with what is even possible at the top of the funnel with regard to what can be brought in as a lead. And that balancing act is going to be sales needs to understand what is even in the realm of possibility for marketing. They can't start with, well, look, for me, it's a person who's ready to buy now. All we can do is have secondary indicators at the top of the funnel. Well, they downloaded the white paper. Is that good enough? Right. Um, so then sales needs to pick it up at some point and just agree to that sort of balance between if I am only finding people who are ready to buy now, then guess what? You're going to get like four leads 
And then the conversation becomes, yeah, but I mean, a quarter to hit my goal and my conversion rates, I need 25. And so that I would say is the volume versus quantity uh, balancing act that every senior leader is going to have to do in any funnel slash pipeline scenario. And by the way, it doesn't stop at sales. It then goes on to, you know, implementation and client success. Yeah. I really like how you've uh, highlighted the fact that the, uh, that it moves down the value chain, the, you know, the value stream and uh, you know, poor, poor leads, uh, get trans translated into sales that then get translated to client success that then get translated uh, to delivery. Uh, so the, the, the higher quality, the top of the funnel, uh, the better off everybody is. So uh, th- thank you for that. Now, as a senior sales and marketing executive yourself, thinking about you, uh, Roger Lee, what's the most important balancing act that you've played that has had a direct impact on your success as a leader? Is it the same or is it different from the previous question? It's related to the previous question from the perspective of the minute that you realize this downstream. Uh, upstream tension that will exist anywhere it is that empathy becomes your best friend you cannot be a successful leader of every stage of the pipeline without empathy for every stage of the pipeline you can't negotiate the deals of the people who are responsible for specific stages without being able to understand the needs of both sides and so you, in order to be the balancer in this balancing act, have to have that sort of empathy. The whole system fails if, you know, as a negotiator, you don't have that empathy. And truthfully, that extends beyond. I, I think I don't, I don't know any senior executive for whom empathy is not the best friend, just from a straight up negotiation strength perspective. If you don't understand who you're negotiating with and what they value, it will not be successful. Yeah, I, Roger, thank thank you for uh, really highlighting that. Uh, I I have uh, struggled that with that uh, exact issue throughout my career, uh, kind of playing favorites uh, between one group and another, and playing favorites with the group that I understood uh, more of what was happening uh, versus those where those groups where things were more of a black box uh, and uh, mysterious. Uh, because I either didn't understand them or didn't invest uh, that uh, that time, so uh, thank thank you for really bringing empathy to the to the foreground uh, in that. Just to uh, double click on yeah. that um, concept, it is particularly important in this world where we all dream of you know launching our own startups and, and having the equity play and that sort of thing to think about its importance for a group of um, players that I like to call challenger brands. So if you are a startup or you are innovating or you are moving into a, a new space, you are by definition a challenger brand. There is some solution that is already in place that you are challenging. The empathy becomes critical for success in that moment because you you have to proactively think about the clients of the existing solution 
and offer something better than their next best alternative, which is the existing solution. And so I would suggest that empathy is at the core of this what's in it for them idea that you cannot be successful as a challenger brand without having a very clear value prop in what's in it for them. And that's even more important than what's in it for you because they don't care. Right. You know, (laughs) so you got to make what's in it for you work within the context of what's in it for them. So I would just double click on that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for that. We're, We're going to take a really short commercial break and we'll be right back with Roger Lee. I'm Andrew Tempty. The alignment of personal purpose with that of the business we lend our talents to is essential to achieving optimal work-life balance. But do you know what your personal purpose is? To help answer this crucial question, I've created a guidebook to help define your personal purpose and a vision statement to serve as your North Star. Visit andrewtempty.com purpose to download your free copy today. And we're back with Roger Lee of General Assembly. We're talking about the balancing acts that leaders play. Roger, on this show, we talk a lot about lifelong learning. Why is the concept of balance so important to becoming and being an effective lifelong learner? This as a question can get philosophical really quick. And so I want to make sure that we keep it practical versus philosophical. But um, bordering on philosophy is it is simply a factual statement that the rate of change in people's lives has been accelerating. And so you can look at the number of innovations that a person saw even 50 years ago and see that the rate of change, the innovations that we're just adopting to um, is faster. There's this great chart out there and you can find it, you know, you know, length of time that it took to get to, um, pick your number, you know, 50 million users, whatever. And you look at airlines you say to get to 50 million years is like 30 years. And then you look at Pokemon go and to get to 50 million users, it took like two weeks. Um, and there's a newer one, which, you know, um, chat GBT or whatever the acronym is, um, got to hundred million users in like five days. And so there is going to always be this balancing act of what do I keep myself abreast of? How do I adapt to this change? And frankly, living the rest of your life, like how much of this time am I going to devote to adaptation versus, you know, watching Avatar 2 for the third time? Like, um, that you kind of figure out what, what do you enjoy and, and what do you do and how much of this you're going to devote, but what is clear is that what you and I learned, you know, as our degree is completely irrelevant to what we do right now today. Um, The most valuable education I ever had was neither of my two formal degrees. It was as I made the transition to CMO, I took some executive education with regard to the challenges of leadership, you know, the challenges sort of of the day, understanding the rate of change. And so I think the balancing act there is literally just how do you find the amount of time that is right for the learning so that you can adapt so that you can maintain the degree of relaxation that you want. 
but but the accelerating rate of change is requiring all of us to balance uh, lifelong learning against literally any other activity. Yeah. So uh, the that that balance between living your life and uh, continually learning, um, I, I find that fascinating. Uh, I I also liked uh, your 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 focus on uh, the uh, traditional education paths uh, versus on the job learning and specific experiential opportunities like executive education that I think get uh, uh, too much of a short shrift. Uh, so uh, I talk I've, I, on this show, I've talked a lot about alternative pathways into the world of work. And uh, if you're a college or university uh leader listening to this show right now, I would uh, perk up my ears about this living my life versus continually learning and how I'm, you know, I'm asking students to do a monolithic credential, like a bachelor's degree. And, you know, are there, are there other alternatives? Uh, Roger, you live in the uh, tech uh, education uh, uh, boot camp alternative pathways uh, space. So I'm. Uh, I, I guess I'm. I'm giving you a direct plug for the the great work that General Assembly is uh, is doing on that front. Um, you know, on that note of what the what you're doing at General Assembly and the advice that you could give to GA graduates. Uh, moving on to the next question. Uh, you know, this another key balancing act is between the technical skill that I adopt as as a student and bring into the world of work and the human skill that I have acquired and continually hone and bring into the modern world of work, human skill, also known as soft skills, etc. If you had a graduate from a GA program sitting right in front of you right now, what advice do you give to them to balance the human and technical skill uh, aspects as they begin to navigate their career? So one of the things that's unique about GA and I think is sort of important to understand for any job focused thing is um, at GA, it isn't just the technical skills. It is also partnering with a career coach to be able to apply those technical skills because at the end of the day, everything that we are doing are, is for people in some way. You can go work for a financial institution on coding their app, but that app exists to provide a service to people of some kind, whether the people is another institutional client or it's an individual consumer. There is a set of needs that humans are going to have. And so everything that we're doing, if it is in service of the humans requires the need for understanding what it is they're trying to do. I think empathy starts to break down a little bit as the sole sort of skill that one needs within that. Um, but it's a great starting point from the perspective of if what I am doing is for another person, whether they are an enterprise client or they are an individual consumer, what is that thing? What is their need state? How do we make it easier? Like no one has gotten gone broke on convenience, right? So um, major industries have been disrupted based on the idea of convenience. 
it was not fun to be a taxi in the era of Uber based entirely on convenience. Like, look, I can just get my ride from my phone anywhere and I don't have to schedule or do anything, right? Now, the people who were able to write that app were able to do it based on technical skills. But those technical skills were still in service of convenience, which is a human need. And so what I do say to people is it's just back to remember who you are doing this for and make sure it actually works for them, regardless of your technical skills. Right. You know, apps that don't do that fail. So, yeah. Uh, you know, mo most, uh, most of my guests would, would answer that question about interactions with, within a company. But what I really liked about your response there was the focus on the customer and using those uh, human skills uh, to really get closer to that, uh, to that consumer uh, experience. Um, so, Roger, final question. What's the most exciting thing you're working on at General Assembly? What's next for Roger Lee? So, I mean, one of the things that I'm just super excited about at General Assembly is being involved in work that matters for problems that I find meaningful at the societal level. And so the student debt crisis deserves the word crisis associated with it. Yeah. We have started to create a generation of people who are in debt that they will never get out of if we don't figure out a way to solve for it. And even the most recent solution, whether it ends up being ratified as legal or not, is a backward-looking solution. Right. It is you know, resolving debt for those who have already incurred it. And it does nothing. For instance, and this is very personal, my son, who will be going to college next year. And so um, changing the equation from escalating self-pay to creating career mobility where the value exchange is with the employer who is sort of getting the employee and it's a little bit more equitable because we tend to take a very U.S. view of this model in the U.S. Most of the rest of the world does not expect the student to come up with life-crushing debt. And so right. being at a place where General Assembly can create career mobility at an affordable rate, and as we, General Assembly, start to pivot into this higher trained deploy space with employers, where employers are taking on more of that debt and capturing the value because they're getting employees for which there simply isn't enough supply, is so exciting to me. I, I mean, it literally is what gets me out of bed every day. And I, I know that that's a cliche, and yet. I do eat, breathe, and sleep solving this societal problem. Well, Roger, it's a big, big issue uh, to solve. Uh, we've had uh, Danielle Cherkop, Chief Product Officer of General Assembly, on the show. I really admire uh, the work that you and uh, and and uh, and your business are are doing uh, to create alternative pathways uh, into the world of work that do not uh, equate to uh, crushing uh, uh, societal and personal debt load. Uh, so please, uh, please do keep up the good work there. And I really appreciated uh, having you on the show today. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. I appreciate the invite. All right. Well, my name is Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act podcast. Uh, please like, subscribe, rate, and share. We're out on all the major 
podcasting services, as well as out on YouTube. I wish you all a wonderful day.